you're a guest this morning, thank you for being here. My name is Ryan, I'm the lead pastor, and I'm super dressed up for you. Got the collared shirt on, and it's even ironed. I ironed my shirt this morning, so thank you very much. Thank you. So it's good to be here. We're in a series called Campfire Stories. We're in episode eight of Campfire Stories, where we've been looking at these beautiful stories from the Bible that are timeless. And they're timeless because uh, we don't know how they might have originally happened. Sometimes there might be uh, embellishments by authors. Sometimes uh, they might be uh, moved from their actual historical context into another narrative context. But they're powerful and they're true because whether they ever happened, we're not sure, but we know they happen all the time. We know they happen all the time, and so we've been looking at them. And, and this really, this series kind of launched, the idea got sparked out of a, a verse that's found in the Gospel of John. John chapter 21, verse 25 says, there are also many other things that Jesus did, but if these were to be described individually, I do not think the whole world could contain the books that would be written. Now, hopefully you know we could contain the books that could be written. <laughs> But the idea is this is just this reality. There's so many things that have happened spiritually, so many things that Jesus did that we don't have. And so a lot of the stories that we have of Jesus are meant to teach us something about the life of Jesus in quick, succinct uh, stories that have this parabolic intent. Uh, and so uh, I want to jump in. Let me ask you a question. This is a, a question you can probably raise your hand to and not feel too embarrassed. Sorry about that. Uh, how many of you have ever uh, been confused and frustrated, not or, but and frustrated, confused and frustrated. Some of you are at that point right now. You're like, I'm here, I'm not sure why, and I'm frustrated about it. So confused and frustrated. These two emotions kind of go together. They're like the Bert and Ernie of emotions, right? Like, I don't know that I've ever really seen Bert without Ernie, right? But we know like when you get confused, a lot of times we get frustrated. Now, some of us some of you in the room, you're really strange, and confusion doesn't frustrate you. It kind of invites you into growth. You love it. I kind of have a, that gene in me. I like being confused. I like new environments. I like new experiences, things that I've never done before. Uh, I kind of enjoy that. But there are some things that are just not enjoyable when you get confused. And I think about like road closures, road closures. Now, we moved here to Colorado about two years ago almost. And uh, we, we bought our home, and we live kind of where 25 and 34 intersects there by the big shields, if you're familiar with the Johnstown Plaza. Uh, we call that New Johnstown. Uh, fake Johnstown is what it really is, right? And uh, so we live over in that area, and we bought our home, and then Dave Martinez promptly told us, hey, sorry, but you're going to be miserable for the next four years with all the road construction that's taking place in there because he's in the know on what's happening. And sure enough, it's like we moved in and then it just like they started tearing up the roads and it just happened, right? And so it would be very common uh, as I was trying to navigate around to come to like the detour sign, right? And the road close sign. And of course, uh, I live in an area and, and for whatever reason, like on my phone in this town, I can have full signal but still not have access to the outside world. Like the internet. I don't know what that's all about. I thought usually when you had four bars, that meant you're good. You can get data. I can't get anything. So when I would come to like a road closure or a road detour, I'm now faced with a problem. I only know one way to get places. Like, I don't know how to do all of these. Like, I haven't been here long enough. And for the time I've been here, like 18 months of it was like in my house. Like I drove from my house to my house. Like that's what I did. And so I'd hit the road closure. And, and when I'd hit that road closure, I realized, well, I've got some choices here. I can just turn around and quit. Just call it a day. Like wherever I was going, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. I'm not going to do it. Right? I could uh, just turn the car off and wait until the road is fixed. 
right? Road closed. Well, I'll wait till it opens up. Problem is I'd be there for a few years, right? Or I could like just make my way around, just see if I could just, all right, I'm going to turn left. And I know if I make one left, I'm going to eventually have to make one right. That's kind of in my head. And that doesn't always work out, right? That's what I could do. Now, this happens, this idea of road closures, and we're faced with like confusion about which way to go, frustration, not knowing where we're going. This happens in so many areas of our lives. It serves as a wonderful metaphor, right? So this can happen at work. You can be assigned a job, a task, whatever it might be. And all of a sudden you think I've got the path forward. And then you hit this kind of road close sign and you're faced with a choice at work. Okay. What do I do? Do I just like turn around and go back? Like, forget it. I'm not going to do it. And I quit. Or is it, do I just like sit and wait and go, well, not my problem. I'm waiting on somebody else, whatever. So I can just sit and wait. Or is it just like, well, I'm going to try and figure out a path. I'll make a left and then another right. Oh, this road doesn't go. And and I'll just navigate my way through. This can happen at work. It happens with finances. It happens with family. It happens with relationships, with marriages. It happens everywhere. And we shouldn't be surprised then when it happens in our faith. Earlier in our call to wisdom in that first song, uh, it said there are over 4,000 recognized religions in the world today. 4,000. Don't y'all feel so lucky that you have the right one? It's a little arrogant, isn't it? Like if we're honest, (laughs) I mean, it's good for us. Don't get me wrong, but 4,000. And even like, if you take 4,000 and go, okay, one of those is the Christian faith, like the Christian way of understanding God, the Christian way of experiencing God. Within that, there's about 8 billion ways of doing it, right? Like we could right now just do a little field trip and drive around Northern Colorado, wherever you might be, you could log off and just go drive around and you'll see like 600 different types of churches and experiences. So faith can be confusing, And one day you could wake up and go, what I thought I knew, I don't know. You might feel like I'm traveling on this road of faith and belief and understanding of God. And then you kind of hit this detour route. There's something that doesn't make sense. Something happens in your life. And all of a sudden your reality doesn't quite line up. That's my fault. Let me see if I can help you with that. So sorry. Um, Your reality doesn't line up with what you've been told is real about God. And so you go, hold on a second. And I would say that in those moments, we have the same choices, right? We just turn around. Like maybe we're progressing forward in our faith. We're growing. Something happens. It's a little too challenging. So we kind of regress. We just go, I'm going to go back to the faith I was handed. It was comfortable, right? Or uh, we can just wait. We're just like, I'm going to just wait it out. I'm going to wait it out. Like this is, I'm not going to engage. I'm just going to let this fad pass, whatever it might be. Or we can just like make our way around, right? We can just kind of take it one step at a time. We can just go, well, I'm going to open up my heart for maybe what God is doing in my life or in the faith community that I'm in. I'm going to see what happens. We have that choice. And as I think about that, I'm reminded of this story of the very first European to ever decide to follow Jesus and be baptized. You know, we have the story of the very first European to ever what we would say in like, you know, probably not such great language kind of convert to Christianity to say, this, I believe is for me. This, I believe I I understand this makes sense. This thing that Jesus way, this way that Jesus talked about God, I, I feel it. And so this woman, her name is Lydia. And we read about Lydia in Acts chapter 16. I remember the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts are kind of two volumes of one work. And they tell us the story of how this 
little tiny message from this obscure person who lived in this obscure area of Galilee in the northern part of, like just north of Jerusalem, like how this message spread to Rome, like the center of the world. How did that happen? That's what the idea behind Luke and Acts is. And we find out this really fascinating story about a woman named Lydia. Now, we don't know much about Lydia, but we know a few things about the environment that Lydia grew up in. And so I tend to think and imagine and fill in the blanks. So I'm going to do that for us today. So Lydia, we know, she grew up in a city called Thyatira. And this city was in uh, the province of Galatia, which is now modern-day Turkey. And this area, this, this city, was known for its dye. So they had a guild of dyers. We have this from like archaeological evidence that this was a centralized space where garments that had been dyed, particularly a unique, a, a unique purple color, came from. And I imagine that Lydia kind of grew up in the home of a, of, a, of a family that this is what they did for a living. It seemed like everybody in Thyatira was attached to that trade. You know how that works in communities. A community is known for a certain industry, and like everybody you meet is somehow tied to that industry. If you live in Greeley, you're tied to beef. That's what it smells like, at least. I mean, I thought that, I thought that was clear. I don't know. But some of you are like, I live in Greeley. I'm a vegetarian. Okay, you're an outland. I understand that. That's fine. No problem. Or oil, right? But these communities, oftentimes they have an identity. And so I imagine that Lydia grew up in the home of a dyer, who, a man who had a business and traded and traveled all throughout kind of Galatia, maybe even crossed over the Aegean Sea into uh, Greece, into what we now call Greece, and into that area and traded. And, and, and I imagine Lydia, she was like totally into this business stuff. She loved being with her dad. She was a little different, right? She was a little different than maybe some of the other young girls. She wanted to know everything there was to know about this business. And when dad was like, Lydia, get out of here. Go help your mom. She was like, nope. What are you doing there, dad? How does that work? Where are you taking that? Where did you get the cloth from? How did you get that purple? How does it go? And she would learn and she would listen. And she just loved being with her father. And as she got older and older and older, she would help her dad out in the business. And, and this was just so much fun for her. And she was deeply engaged in it. She was always frustrated with the limitations that they wanted to put on her. Girls don't do that. Girls don't have businesses. Get out of here. She says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live in this. I'm gonna, this is what I want. And she probably grew up in her home, which was, would have been a, a, a home that just like worshiped the traditional gods of Rome, of, of, of Greece. Like it was, you know, we had to worship Jupiter and we had to worship Mars. And this is kind of what she grew up in. But part of her curiosity and part of her just like spirit and the way she was made inside of her was to just go, this doesn't make sense. Like, how do we know which God to keep happy? Like, if I keep this one happy, could I make this one mad? Like, I don't understand. And dad would always say, Lydia, mind your business. <laughs> Stop asking those questions. It's no big deal. We just, we, we do what we do. This is how we do it. It's no big deal. She said, but this doesn't seem right with me. Stop, Lydia. Go hand me the purple dye. She was an inquisitive young woman. She grew and grew. And eventually, Lydia, I think, makes sense to me, that she fell in love with someone. And Lydia was the kind of person who wasn't really going to just let you tell her who to marry. So I think Lydia, being this impassionate young woman, she fell in love with a person. And here's what's interesting. One of the things that she fell in love with was this person was they were a little strange. They didn't worship all the gods that she worshipped, that her household worshipped. They worshipped one. 
And she began to hear the story of this small community of people where this man lived, that they had about 150 years ago, 2,000 families had been settled in Thyatira by one of the Seleucid kings. They had been displaced, and so they had been brought in. And so there was this small community of people that only believed in one God. (laughs) Seemed crazy to so many people, but for Lydia, it was like, this makes total sense. She fell in love with this man. They got married started a family, and, and she began to learn a little bit, whatever she could, about the Jewish faith. She was super inquisitive, always asking questions. But again, she's always kept on the outside. She's kept on the outside. She's what's known as a God-fearer. She wasn't raised Jewish. She, her heritage, her nationality wasn't Judaism. She was a woman, so she had to kind of sit on the outside, but she was deeply interested. And she developed this idea and this life that she loved to pray. And so they kind of grew, and then something happened. I'm not sure what, but something happened to her husband. He probably died suddenly. And when he died suddenly, she finds herself now confused. What do I do next? What do I do next? So I've got this connective tissue to this community. They don't really see me as a part of. They especially don't see me as a part of now because my husband is gone and I've got these these children. What am I going to do? She thought to herself, well, I remember that business. I always loved that. So she started to kind of work a little bit. Then she realized, boy, Thyatira, this market is saturated. Everybody here does it. But over across the Aegean Sea, there's a Roman colony called Philippi. And she had heard that there in Philippi, there were a lot more opportunities for women in business that the Roman Empire had come in and had set up more freedoms and she could excel more. And there were opportunities that she knew existed because she had traveled there with her dad a few times. And so she takes her family, she packs up what she has, she takes her knowledge and she says, I'm gonna start over in Philippi. This community here doesn't seem to want to accept me. I don't know what, I, what, what to do, so I'm just gonna do it. So she packs up everything. She takes what little she has. She sails across the sea and she starts there in Philippi. And over time, she becomes extraordinarily successful. She really doesn't want to stay in her station of life. She's like, I'm not going to buy into this. I can't. So she becomes one of the most successful purveyors of purple cloth in the area. She would travel eventually along this 500-mile road that connected the Adriatic coast with the Aegean Sea. And she would travel along this road and sell her wares, sell this purple dye clothing. She would buy materials. She would put it on ships. She might have even owned a ship or two that would go back and forth from Thyatira to the coast, back and forth. Everybody got to know Lydia. Lydia was a boss. You didn't mess with Lydia. And her household grew and grew and grew. She hired workers and laborers and she had servants and, and she cared for them. She knew what it was like to be a bit of an outsider. And over time, it was interesting that as she grew in her house of influence, she learned about this group of women because she had hired uh, one woman who was from it, and they worshiped one God, and she remembered. And she got connected with this group of women that they would gather along a river, and they would begin, they would pray together. And it reminded her of the beauty of that community that she had back when she lived in Thyatira. And so this little small community of women that would gather and pray, that was how she stayed connected to God. She stayed connected to this God and this idea of monotheism, this idea of one God through this little community of women. She didn't really understand exactly everything about it, but there's just something about it that made sense to her. So all this is happening in Lydia's life. 
She's growing in her business. She's growing in her influence. She's growing in her household. Meanwhile, there's this guy named Paul who had a massive experience, who was a leader in the Jewish community. Paul was on his way to probably become what we would consider to be potentially even the high priest, the one in charge of it all. He was on track. And then he has this encounter with the resurrected Jesus, changes his life. He gives all that up, and he begins to go around into communities where there might be God-fears, where there might be people who were known as Gentiles. They were outside of Judaism, but they were interested in this idea of one God. They were connected somehow. And so he began to travel around, and one of the places that he went to very early on was this province of Galatia. And he would go from place to place, but man, it just seemed like every place he went, the doors were shut. Every place he went, nothing could happen, couldn't make any headway. Goes to four or five different places, no luck, no good. What is going on here? So finally one night, he just is going to bed, and he says, Lord, you called me to do this. What am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? I don't know what I'm doing. He goes to sleep that night and he has a vision. And there's a Macedonian standing there. Now, Philippi is in the province of Macedonia. And so there's this Macedonian standing there saying, Paul, come help us. Come help us. So Paul wakes up the next morning, takes it as a sign. I'm supposed to take this message of the gospel of Jesus. That's the only thing I know I can help to Macedonia. And so he gathers up his partners and they immediately set sail. They travel over. And where do they go, first of all? Philippi. It's close to a port city. It's kind of an influential city. It's a Roman colony. So he walks in and Paul's a Roman citizen. So that's where he goes. And he checks it out. He and his companions that are with him, they're just kind of looking around. They spend a few days in the city asking questions, trying to understand like what's going on? What's, What's the buzz here? Here's about, you know, just he hears kind of stories about this woman who's the boss of the area, right? Like everybody knows her, pretty intense story. He's like, well, that's fascinating. And then comes time and it's the Sabbath day. So it's Saturday. And on Saturday, what Paul would do with his companions, this is how they would, they would always go and they'd find the synagogue of the town. And they'd go in and they would talk probably to the men and let them know about Jesus if you're interested. And he would talk with them about this. He hadn't had much success but he says, let's go see if we can find a synagogue. Well, it turns out probably, there isn't a synagogue, doesn't look like it, because he just goes and finds outside the city gates, there's this river that ran by and found a group of women and they were praying there. And so he just sits down and he just begins to talk with these women, highly unheard of, but he just begins to talk with them. In the course of that moment, there's this one woman there who just is enthralled with what he's saying. She just begins to say, Paul, I've spent my whole life so confused about God. I've got all these gifts, I've got all these talents, yet everywhere I go, even when I think about God, I'm just an outsider, and and I just, but what you're saying makes so much sense that this Jesus says, we're all in, this Jesus includes me, this Jesus was hanging out with women like me, and in that moment, moment, like, God just opened up her eyes, and Lydia just opened up her heart to this great mystery of Jesus, and she looked at Paul, and she said, I'm in. She says, I want to get baptized. I want my whole household to get baptized. I want every person I know to now be influenced by this beautiful message of Jesus. That you've told me that I'm in, that I don't have to become a Jew. I always thought I had to become a Jew, but I really wasn't allowed to become a Jew. Now you're telling me I don't have to. And I want to, I want to be able to share this. So shares it with her and her and her whole household are baptized. Remember, baptism is the symbol of inclusion into this community of faith within Judaism at the time. 
And all of a sudden, Lydia's life just begins. She's like, now I have this outlet where I can give of myself all these gifts and talents. And so Lydia becomes what we would, or what would have been called at the time, a patron for the Apostle Paul. And she begins to fund the mission of the Apostle Paul. She begins to collect and, and use her home and her household and implores them, you have to stay here. You have to come and be a part of this. And so Paul's mission is furthered. And actually, the generosity of the whole region is spurred on by this church, this little house church, this community in Philippi that gets started. And so Paul ends up staying there for a little bit. And this, now Lydia has this amazing opportunity to live into her gifts of generosity and leadership. Gifts that would have seemed so extraordinarily out of place in her culture and her day to come from this fantastic, powerful leader. But she had this open heart. She had these open hands, right? She was curious, what is God doing? I just, there's something about this God that the Hebrews represent that seems to me to be so true, but I'm an outsider, but she kept this open heart. And she had these open hands that she would share with people. When Paul comes in, we see it. Her first response is to care for Paul and give to Paul. And what we find in this whole story is that the Spirit of God is just moving. The Spirit of God is directing Paul and his companions. The Spirit of God is directing Lydia, go to Philippi. The Spirit of God is moving. The vision comes. And I think what we can learn if we focus in, what all of us can take a hold of from this beautiful story, is that the Spirit of God works best with open hands and open hearts. The Spirit of God seems to do God's best work with people who are willing to have an open heart to what God wants to do and open hands to propel what God wants to do. And as I think about this story and, and as it's given to us in the, God, in the book of Acts, I think there's some like lessons for our everyday normal lives that we can lean into real quickly. See, the first thing is this. I think we should see the people uh, around us that are asking for help as an open door from God. So that's what Paul saw, right? So the story in Acts tells us that Paul traveled through these different areas. He traveled through Phrygia and he traveled through the whole Galatian territory. And they had been prevented by the Spirit from preaching the message in the province of Asia. And rather, they couldn't get past where they were. And when they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia and they couldn't do it. They just translated the closed doors. They translated their failure as the Spirit of Jesus isn't allowing us to do this. And so one night, Paul has this vision, this text says, and this Macedonian stood and implored him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen this vision, it says that they took passage right away to Macedonia. They found a boat, they got in it, and they said, this is what God has called us to do, to proclaim the good news to them. Who in your life is crying out for help? Where are you finding closed doors in your life? I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to, this, this is what I want to do in the next five years. And it's like every time you try, you feel like you're just butting up against a brick wall. But yet there's people in our lives saying, could you help me? Could you help me? And maybe those folks, maybe those cries for help is the actual spirit of God saying, here's an open door. Step through it. Go for it. One thing that happens when we face confusion, when we face the, 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 the walls and the closed doors like Paul was, we can kind of turn away from God. It's pretty easy and it's pretty understandable when we experience tragedy in our lives to say, this isn't supposed to happen, this isn't what God wanted for me, and we just kind of stop the spiritual activity. But I think the story of Lydia tells us, don't let confusion 
Don't let exclusion, don't let those closed doors keep you from praying. I have to imagine that when Lydia's praying, she's praying kind of like I pray a lot. Like, I don't know if this works. <laughs> I don't know how this works, but I trust that there's something powerful about this. I trust that Jesus invites me to think of God, to think of creation, to think of the universe, to think of this reality that exists outside of myself that I'm a part of, that I, in him I live and move and have my being, that Jesus invites me to consider this very personal, to think of this God as Father. And I don't know how it all works, and I have seasons where I pray simply because I'm supposed to, and I press in, and I go, I don't know. I don't know if you're even listening. I don't even know if you have ears. <laughs> But there's this act of faith. And there are seasons where I go, I don't know if I'm just gonna give this one a break. But Lydia invites me always to sit by the river and pray. Even when I don't know exactly how it works, even when I don't know if anybody's listening, I'm invited to continue to experience God in community and to trust that that confusion is all right. That's where Paul found her. The text says in Acts chapter 16 that on the Sabbath day, Paul and his companions went outside the city gate along the river. By the way, they would be along the river because there was ritual baptisms that would take place as part of the Jewish faith, ritual cleansing. So that's where usually a synagogue would be put. So they're there, and that's where he comes across these women, and that's where he begins to share the gospel. And one of the most powerful things that I think this story invites us to is to keep a soft heart and a listening ear. To keep a soft heart to the things of God. I think one way that our hearts get hardened is not in rebellion, but in certainty. I'm gonna say that one more time. I don't think our hearts get hardened all the time in rebellion of God. I think they get hardened in the certainty of God. Like we get a hard heart because we just know it. Now, you might be like me, part of a tradition that any time there might be a passage in Scripture that talked about hard hearts, a heart of stone being turned to a heart of flesh, we think of that in terms of rebellion. But I really don't know that that's the case. I think sometimes our hearts can just be hardened by like, I know this is how it is. This is the way I was taught it. This is the way it has to be. And so our hearts become hardened. In other words, they're not opened. And I think it's just powerful that Lydia had this soft heart. This is what it says. It says, one of them, a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, a worshiper of God. By the way, that's all the text gives us about Lydia. But she listened. That tells us something about who she was as a person. Those qualities, those characteristics, we can fill in the gaps. But she listened. Her heart was open. She was curious. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul was saying. Do we listen? And do we trust that God will open our hearts to pay attention to what the Spirit is saying to us? And then finally, I think one of the most powerful things that we learned from Lydia is that she was persistent. She was persistent in her generosity. So the text tells us that after she and her whole household were baptized, she offered an invitation. You have to come. If you consider me a believer in God and the Lord, you need to come and stay at my home. She offers the invitation to accept my patronage, allow me to lead, allow me to support, allow me to rally the people here. And it says she prevailed on us. That's what that tells me is that Paul did like the typical thing. He's like, I don't know about this. He gathered all the men. What do you think we should do? <laughs> do we go stay with this woman? I don't know. And she just kept saying, you gotta do this. Get past yourself. <laughs> Get past what you're supposed to do and not supposed to do. 
and she prevailed on them and they went and stayed. Here's what's really fascinating about this story. Paul stays with them for a little bit, but then Paul, it goes around, and if you read all of Acts 16, Paul has an encounter with the law. He ends up being arrested. Terrible ordeal. And they release him and they say, but you've got to leave town. Get out of town. We don't want to see you again. And you know where Paul goes? Back to Lydia's house. Because everybody knew don't mess with Lydia. That's the only thing I can think about. Like you're persona non grata, and you decide, no, I'm not going to leave. He goes back to Lydia's house and stays there, which tells me this woman has significant influence. And that's how this makes our world a better place. Because when people are grounded in love, grounded in generosity, with an open heart towards God, with a soft heart, we all of a sudden find ourselves with endless possibilities of influence. Influence. And this way of Jesus is to say, let's get, gather influence, not through power, not through titles, not through education, but let's gather influence by loving. Let's gather influence by serving. Let's gather influence by sacrificing. And here's what's fascinating. When you think about it, if we don't have Lydia, if Paul doesn't have Lydia, if Paul never goes to Philippi, if Lydia never goes there, what we don't have is kind of mind-blowing. So we have a letter in the New Testament called Philippians. Well, first of all, we probably wouldn't have that letter. <laughs> and we have some of the most beautiful literature that Paul writes. This is one of the authentic letters of Paul. And in Philippians chapter four, we learn about the generosity of this community, which I believe had to start with Lydia. This is what it says. It says, you Philippians, indeed, you know that at the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, not a single church shared with me an account of giving and receiving except you alone. In other words, when I left the whole region of Macedonia, you were the only church that had ever given me anything to support this work. He says, for even when I was at Thessalonica, now Thessalonica is south of Philippi. It gets further into Greece. He says, when I was there, you sent me something for my needs. Not only once, but more than once. In other words, I'm there doing ministry in this place. They're not even helping me, but you're sending gifts to support. And I have to imagine and I have to believe that that generosity was contagious I mean, how, how are you the Thessalonican community? <laughs> and, like, and like these gifts are pouring in to help the ministry and the mission of Paul, and you're just kind of watching it, not doing anything. Like, there's kind of a healthy sense of like, na 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 boo boo, we're better than you kind of thing. Like, you have to imagine that there was some good peer pressure there. And I love that Paul says, it's not that I'm eager for the gift, rather, I'm eager for the profit that accrues to your account. Like, this investment that you're making has an eternal profit. It's a powerful story, and it happens all the time when we're presented with opportunities to help those that need help, to give of ourselves, to live with generous hands, to live with, with malleable hearts, to not be afraid of confusion, but to keep pressing in. So as we wrap up, we have this song for you today. And as we play this song for you, here's the question, as always, what is God inviting you into? For some of you, maybe you're experiencing God just saying, hey, Keep an open mind in the midst of your confusion. I get it. You're confused right now. There's things going on, but just keep an open mind as to what I can do during this time. Keep an open heart. Maybe God's inviting you to start living a more generous life like Lydia. 
Maybe you resonate with her. You say, you know what? I, I have a lot of influence. I have a lot of opportunity. I have, and I just don't know that I've been living into my capacity of generosity. And I love that, but I just, there's something been holding me back. And maybe you just sense that God's saying, just be more generous. Look for those opportunities around you. Those people at work in your neighborhood. Be generous with your time, your talent, and your treasure. And for some of you, maybe you've been around Crossroads now for a few months, six months, a year, two years. And you've just been kind of like, I don't know if this is for me, I don't, but I feel it. And, and you're kind of making that commitment to this place as being your church, this place as being your community to do some good work together. And maybe God's just inviting you like Lydia and the Philippians to, to support your church financially on a regular basis. Maybe it's just not something you've ever done. You just feel a little whisper. You know what? I'm just going to start. Start somewhere to propel the mission and the vision of creating a, a beautiful expression of the body of Christ that not only has an impact here in northern Colorado, but really around the world. So maybe that's just an invitation that God's giving to you. I hope that all of us today hear this invitation, though. No matter where you are, God has set a seat at the table. And you might be confused about faith, about God. You might say, I grew up in this Christian tradition or I grew up in this non-Christian tradition and I'm sitting here. I just don't know what to think about God. I hope you hear an invitation this morning from the Spirit of God just saying, come home. <laughs> There's a seat at the table. It's big enough. We'll work it out together. I always just believe uh, some foundational things that God is good, <laughs> which makes the universe safe, which makes God user-friendly. And we make it really complicated. But this song just says, at the table, there's a space. And it kind of tells another story of somebody who just kind of wandered away, but is hearing that invitation. Hearing that invitation. So open up your heart this morning and just consider, what was the point of it all today? Why were you here? I hope it was to hear God whisper something into your life that will help you become more like Jesus bit more of a peacemaker in this world. So enjoy this song, consider it, pray. I'll be back in just a moment with our blessing.